Good morning. Welcome all of you who are watching online to Lifespring Bible Church. Um, I am Isaac Johnson. I'm the Counseling Ministries and Small Groups Coordinator here. And just wanted to give a couple announcements before we get started today. Um, first thing, we wanted in our just effort to continue to keep doing connection even with the COVID virus and all that, we will be doing another little get together this coming Saturday. So basically a week from now at uh, the Foothills uh, Anchorage, it's in Anchorage City Park, um, just not too far from here, the, the church here, off of uh, 30, kind of near 36th Avenue and Tudor Road. We'll give, and we'll put that on the website and the Facebook page and give you the exact direction. So it'll be 11 a.m. this coming Saturday. Um, and then the other things just want to keep reminding you about that we're going to be doing is the men's group, uh, Kingdom Men, that will be starting in September, as well as the Well, which is going to be the youth ministry that we're going to be starting up as well. And so we're going to have, those are already posted on the Facebook page and the um, website as well, if you want to get more information. So anyway, we're going to start with prayer, and then we're going to hand it over to Pastor Carl. So Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to get together and, and in whatever form that that takes. And we just know that we are a global community as a church. And so we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just flow through this message and just reach everybody and just touch all of us to, to speak to us in whatever words that you want to say through Pastor Carl. Amen. Praise God. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, if you have questions about what exactly Life Spring Bible Church is doing, I, I know that when I looked at the broadcasts, the recorded broadcasts for last Sunday, folks were asking questions, are there people in the service? And uh, the answer to that question is there's a handful of people here. Uh, a couple of things going on. I need a handful of people to help me set up this production. And uh, there's a, a couple of people here that are for my sake. Um, I like looking at people and being able to preach to people rather than an empty room. And so there's a handful of folks here, yes. And uh, we should um, be on our next to the last session that has to be uh, presented uh, by electronically only. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, we should be able to regather again. And I'm so looking forward to that. And I've Missed every one of you very much, and I love you and appreciate you and appreciate your prayers. And speaking of prayers, I want you to understand that there's a new dominating philosophy at Life Spring Bible Church, and every spiritual leader, I believe, in the country are coming into this knowledge and understanding. Have you ever been to a point where uh, you said that things are just so difficult, maybe a medical problem or maybe a challenge that you're facing in life, and you came to the conclusion, well, we're just going to have to trust God? Well, I understand the origins of that statement, but I think that we need to start trusting God before we get to the point of desperation. We need to be people of prayer before we reach a point of desperation. Now, the benefit of what this country has faced is this. Uh, there are many, many, many people in the body of Christ that are talking to God about the apathy that has existed in their lives and God's changing that. God's performing miracles. God's drawing people close. And he's, he's really uh, doing a great work, a mighty work. That's what we'll call it, a mighty work of a dividing line between the people of the world and the people of the church. And, and people are beginning to be able to recognize an, a big, huge difference. And the church isn't as quiet as it once was. Amen. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are praying that are reaching out to God, and I want you to be praying as uh, adherents of Life Spring Bible Church 
about some things that God's been laying on my heart about the fact that since we've gone uh, uh, electronic, uh, there have been a tremendous number of people that are at least exposing themselves to the Word of God uh, electronically over Facebook and over our, our website. And we're starting to take that very seriously. It's humbling, but we're starting to take it very seriously to understand that we're reaching portions of the body of Christ we were not reaching before. And so I want you to be praying about that. Now, we want to focus here for a few minutes because we have a short message to share with you. Whereas our series of uh, messages on the school of the desert are continuing. This is uh, our second message in the series of the school of the desert. And it's titled, God Knows. How many of you know God knows what's going on? God, God's just getting more vocal. God's just getting more active again. And it's a good thing for the body of Christ. It's a good thing for the church. Now, I'm going to apologize quickly because I'm going to open with a passage of Scripture. But how many of you know that the Word of God is the best preacher and teacher that there is? The Word of God, first and foremost. So we're going to read what may feel like an exorbitant number of passages. But just pay close attention because there's some stories that are going to unfold. So I want you to start with me today by going to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading with verse 15, and we're going to read for a little while. And I'm going to go slow, I'm going to go deliberate, and I pray that you've got some kind of device with you that you can look at and that you can see the words with me. You, you shouldn't just necessarily trust everything that the speaker says. You should look at the word for yourself and see for yourself and be like the Bereans who studied the word uh, to show that what was being shared with them could be proven with the written word. Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, reads like this. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You know, even that first verse is powerful because how many of you know that in the Bible, a well in the desert represented a place of refreshing? That tells me instantly that Moses needed refreshing. Can you say Amen. All right, verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And pay close attention to this line that seemingly comes out of the clear blue. Why did we need to know this? And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And God knew. How many of you know God knows? God knows. 
That's, in, that's where we got the title of this message. Every little detail that was going on in the life of Moses and every little detail that was going on in an entire nation with the children of Israel, God knew. Just like God knows today. God knows the life of each and every individual in this room and everyone within the sound of my voice and every single solitary person breathing air on this planet. He knows every minute detail. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off or take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Pay very close attention to what's unfolding at the burning bush. Because the fact of the matter is, the way that God revealed himself to Moses, the things that God said to Moses to boost his faith and the things that God said to Moses about his power being exemplified these are the trends that are involved in every time every time we're confronted by God in our lives this is the way he reveals himself there's a pattern here there's a pattern here that's unfolded he said I am the God of your father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A lot of vites there. Amen. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. One of the things that God does is he revealed to Moses his very purpose for why God was dealing with him that day face to face. The purpose for Abraham or for Moses' life was unfolding in this meeting. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, 
the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. God reminds us of his promises. Amen? So God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then we're going to bounce down a little later and read one more passage of scripture to you. Uh, when we get into the points of this message. Now, I've read a lot of passages of Scripture. And, and what is the, the standard that we're following here? What is the guidance that God's given us? How many of you have been like me, feeling like we've been in a desert? I, I mean, I feel like I've been in a desert. I, I, I cope with this only because God helps me. I'm a pastor. I've been given a shepherd's heart, and to not be able to be with the people has been extremely hard. It's been extremely difficult on me. Only God helps me. And God tells me, you, you hang on, you hold on, you stand fast. That's what the Holy Ghost keeps saying on the inside of me. You encourage the people, you give the word by all means available. Get the word out there. And I believe that God has promised me that he is the one that's not only holding this church together, but he's causing it to flourish because the church is not a building. Can you say Amen. Now, let's focus for a little bit about this desert experience because last week we spoke broadly of it, and we're going to speak specifically of the desert experience as it pertains to Moses. In this opening statement, listen very carefully. Sometimes the Lord needs to remove us from what we know and what we expect to prepare us for a greater work. Hear that again. Sometimes the Lord needs to remove us from what we know and expect to prepare us for a greater work. This is where the backside of the desert comes in. That strategic and sometimes obscure place where the Lord places us to prune us. There's a, a whole message I preached once on, on pruning because I was on a, on a jet liner. I was flying south and, and there was this magazine article in there that was titled Pruning uh, pruning to prepare more and better fruit. Pruning. And I'm reading this article, and it says that sometimes pruning looks, takes on the look of death. <laughs> that you prune a bush back or a tree back to a point where it takes on kind of look of death. But that the end result, as it recovers, it produces a higher quality and a better quantity of fruit. The other day, my wife and I, we were looking at this expensive rose bush you know, Ruth and I aren't necessarily the greenest thumb people you ever met. And we bought this really expensive rose bush, and the thing, I'm watering it every day. I'm doing what I can. I put, you know, miracle Grow on it. You think with a name like miracle Grow, it would flourish, right? But it was not flourishing. And all of the roses on it just died. And so we had this, you know, somewhat green bush with dead flowers all over it, you know. So we did a little reading up on it, and it said, take all the dead roses off of it. If you take all the dead roses off of it, it will make room for new and increased number of flowers. So my wife went out there and plucked all those dead flowers off of it and I put a little more miracle Grow on it and I watered that baby and I'm telling you that is one full rose bush now. It's a beautiful rose bush. Why? Because this chapter 3 verse works. It works. Amen? 
In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it said, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now this is for your consideration. Let me remind you uh, that the life of Moses was kind of lived in segments. There was the life that he lived in Egypt for the first 40 years. And by the way, it's a fact. It is a fact that Moses was around 80 years old when he pastored his first church, <laughs> basically. And it was nearly 4 million people, all right? So you can imagine that it took longer to prepare him for that ministry than a lot of other people are preparing for. Does that make sense? Okay. So for your consideration, looking at Moses' story, first of all, Moses' story, first of all, was his birth. That was uh, talked about in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2. Then there was his upbringing, which is in Exodus chapter 2, that covered verses 3 through 10, and that was about him being raised as a prince in Egypt. And then his mistake. What was his mistake? In Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, what did he do? He killed someone. He killed uh, someone that was abusing a Hebrew. And then he hid his body, and he thought he hadn't been seen, but he had been seen. Amen? And then there was his flight because we opened with the story of how uh, that Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses for having killed uh, another Egyptian for abusing a Hebrew. So Moses fled the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. What have we said about the well? The well represents refreshment. Now, listen, listen carefully to this note. There was so much that the Lord needed to do in Moses before he was able to undertake the task set before him. Why? Listen carefully to this. Moses still looked like, smelled like, spoke like, and behaved like an Egyptian. You ever wonder, Pastor, where in the world do you come up with all this stuff? Well, what have I always tried to teach you? The Word of God. Where's the evidence? Because he was recognized as an Egyptian by Jethro's daughters. They didn't go back and say, a Hebrew delivered us at the well. They said, matter-of-factly, an Egyptian. Did they not? It says in Exodus chapter 2, the first part of verse 19, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. Now, here's my question. Did a Hebrew, was a Hebrew or an Egyptian used by God to deliver the children of Israel? I can tell you unequivocally, it was not an Egyptian. By the time God sent Moses back to Egypt to be used by him to deliver the children of Israel, there was none of Egypt left in him. Does that make sense to you? Because in the Bible, Egypt represents the world. Did you know that? And, and it took 40 years for God to purge that from the life of Moses on the backside of the desert. That's why I'm trying to tell you today, don't be so upset. That's what the Holy Spirit's telling me. Don't be so upset about all this stuff going on around you. The purposes of God are being fulfilled before our very eyes. And America needs to learn that. The purposes of God are being fulfilled before our very eyes. Amen? So there was a need for Moses to enter a time of renewal 
and solitude where God could deal with him one-on-one. What Moses needed to learn could not be taught in the palaces of Egypt. He needed, listen to this, he needed the backside of the desert, and sometimes we do too. But for Moses, it would take 40 years to get Egypt out of him for him to be purged. Second point, then there's backside life. Backside life. It says in Exodus chapter 3 verse 1, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. So what is the backside of the desert? It is a place where God strategically places us in order to prepare us for his work. The backside of the desert is a place where God strategically places us in order to prepare us for his work. Now, listen to this. So, what is it? What is really the backside of the desert? It, it's not everything you think it would be. We think backside of the desert is all unpleasant. That's not necessarily true. I mean, look what God gave Moses on the backside of the desert. When he reached the desert, he got his wife. It says he was blessed with a son. I mean, Moses was living a good, quiet life on the, in the desert with God, you see. Now, watch this. So, what is the desert? It's a place of one, refreshment. It's a place of refreshment. It's typified by the well he sat down by. The first place that God brought Moses to was a place of refreshing, even in the desert. Because he sat down by a well. Amen? A next thing that happens in our lives when we're on the, in the backside of the desert is it's a time of preparation. Time of preparation. And it is for a purpose. It's to make us ready for the task that God has for us. Are you getting ready? Are you just holding your breath waiting for this thing to be over with? No. We, we, matter of fact, the only thing we can do if we're just holding our breath and waiting for God to get this thing over with is we are guaranteeing that we're going to be in here a little bit longer. <laughs> we're just going to be in the class a little bit longer. No, man, I want God, whatever it is you're saying to me, let open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart in the name of Jesus and help me get this lesson way down deep inside because I do not enjoy this class. I do not want to do over. I don't want to do over. I want to get this right. And I'm telling you, I'm saying things uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being told things by the Holy Spirit that I'm not even real comfortable spitting out, you know? I mean, it's not comfortable. It's not easy for me to tell you that there's divine purpose in what God's doing right now. There's a goal set by God that he's, he's going to meet. He's going to set. It doesn't matter how much we moan and cry and bellyache and carry on. We're gonna just going to have to trust God. Amen? All right? So, it's a place of refreshment. It's a place of preparation. We're talking about the backside of the desert. It's a place of pruning. We've already mentioned that. Trimmed by cutting away dead or unwanted parts. That's what pruning is about. It's a method by which we cut away dead and unwanted parts. That's what pruning is all about. So, the backside of the desert is also a place of solitude. Maybe even better defined as obscurity. Solitude or obscurity. It is... Aloneness versus loneliness. There's a difference between aloneness and there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Can you say amen? There's a difference. 
There's a big, huge difference between being alone and lonely. If you're alone with God, you will never be lonely. You can't be. Amen? The next thing is, it's a place of development. Development. It's for building up, for enlarging, for making usable or profitable. That's development. It's also a place of lowliness. Lowliness. Moses went from royalty to shepherding. He went from wearing royal robes. And, you know, back then, they even decored their face to an extent, the Egyptians did, especially royalty. So no wonder that these daughters mistook him for being Egyptian. He had all the signs of being Egyptian. Did he not? There's a place of growth. The kind of growth only God can produce. It's a place of instruction that involves lessons that will be taught and they will be learned. Can you say amen? And then it's a place, the backside of the desert is always a place of transition for those who will listen to God. The passage from one state or stage to another and better one. Amen? That's what transition in God is supposed to be about. Not staying on the same level, but being able to take a step up. Amen? Third point, what does the backside living teach us? What does backside living teach us? First of all, it teaches us patience. I'm, I'm not real excited about this particular part of my desert experience, but yet I am getting a little excited about, and maybe even a lot excited about, what has God designed this for as it pertains to me? As it pertains to me, I will tell you that one of the things that God has taught me in, in all humility, in all humbleness, is that today you can pastor a small church and still be heard by thousands and thousands of people. Spiritual leaders in the world today, if they do not understand that the audience that is listening to them, that they have an effect over so much more vast than the few people that are sitting in the room with you. And that the spiritual leaders of today have a message from God to preach in this world and they need to obey him. Amen? So what does the backside living teach us? First of all, it teaches us patience. Wait on God for all of our needs. Amen? What does the backside teach us? It teaches us patience. The second thing it teaches us is reliance. Listen to this now. All reliance on self is taken away. You can't live easily in the desert if God's not helping you. Amen? If God's not providing the blessings, they're not there to be found. If God's not providing the blessings. So reliance. All reliance on self is taken away. He becomes the source of everything for us on the backside of the desert. The next thing you need to develop on the backside of the desert and backside living teaches us is about trust. It's about trusting God. All faith is to be in capital H, him. All trust, all faith. And then the next thing the backside living teaches us is humility. Did you know that, um, that all soaring, think about an eagle soaring, uh, you, ever, you just ever pictured yourself like, like the Word of God says, soaring like an eagle, soaring like an eagle. Listen to me carefully. This point, this may not, may not 
phase you, may not touch you, it, but it did something for me. And it, it's humbling. It's humbling for me to say this because humility is one of the things that we learn, one of the lessons on the backside. Even soaring like an eagle starts from the ground. It starts. There's a starting point, right? It may be a tree branch. <laughs> you know, an eagle might start out from a tree branch, but soaring starts from down low. Can you say amen? Is that piercing your understanding of what I'm saying here? You know, that, that'd be like, you know, when you tell an eagle that, well, hey, you're here at, you know, 30,000 feet or whatever it is, and you're soaring. Isn't that magnificent? Where'd you start from? Well, way down there. <laughs> way down there. You, you, you start soaring by lifting up off of one of the lower places. Does that make sense to you? So it's humility. It has to do with humility. So fourth, fourth point about being on the backside Listen to this. Being on the backside, point number four, never forget that not only is the desert a place that God takes us to alter us, but it is also a place where death greets the stubborn, the unyielding, and the disobedient. It's on the backside of the desert. Never forget that not only is the desert a place that God takes us to alter us, but it is also a place where death greets the stubborn, the unyielding, and the disobedient. We must be careful not to meddle with, frustrate, or challenge the will and the workings of the Lord during this time because of the dark side to the back side. So, you're a Star Wars fan. This ain't got nothing to do with Star Wars. I didn't make this point from that movie series or that story series. That's not what I'm talking about here. We must be careful not to meddle with, frustrate, or challenge the will and workings of the Lord during this time because of the dark side to the back side. Why? Because the devil will be busy there also. And what will he do? I can move through these points pretty quick because we're pretty familiar with them. He will attempt to bring doubt. He will attempt to bring confusion. He will attempt to bring opposition. He will attempt to bring persecution. He will attempt to bring oppression. And he will also attempt to bring temptation. You say, well, what, what kind of temptation? The kind of temptation that gets you to doubt God himself in your life. That's the kind of temptation I'm talking about here. It's not like building a great big mansion, the temptation to build a great big mansion on the side of an oasis where there's beautiful and clean and clear water. No, it's just the simple temptation is God really here? Is God really doing? Is this really God's plan? Is this really things that God wants to accomplish in this? It's that kind of temptation. Don't let him, don't let him win. Don't give him an inch. You give him an inch and he'll take a mile. And he'll try to bury you in that desert. But we have nothing to fear. We serve God. Amen? And God is speaking. Now listen to this. There's an advantage about the desert because on the back side of the desert... There is a mountain. On the back side of the desert, isn't there a mountain? You'd be surprised if you look in the Bible and look up Mount Sinai and even Mount Horeb, because it's an amazing thing that it's called Mount Sinai and called Mount Horeb, because Horeb, and, and they would still call it Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And that's amazing to me because Horeb means a place of desolation. 
Horeb. Why in the world do they keep calling it Horeb if God changed the name to Mount Sinai? Because to God, it doesn't matter. Both of them mean the mountain of God. By all appearances, it looks like a place of desolation. But appearances can be deceiving because the God who created everything is on his mountain. Amen? In our lives, even. There's a mountain on the backside. And they came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Exodus chapter 3, first part of chapter 1. With all that is taking place on the backside, there's still more. Because on the backside, there's a mountain. Thank God for the mountain. Amen? The mountain of God. Now, what will I find there? Well, let's look and see. There I will find, first of all, pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. Because where did we get these notes? We got these notes here from that passage of Scripture that talked about Moses discovering the burning bush, discovering it wasn't being consumed, and Moses approaching the bush. Everything that God said to Moses is a pattern by which God reveals himself in our lives. Now, I don't know about you. I've never seen a burning bush not being consumed. But guess what? I've never needed to see a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. Hear me very carefully. Moses needed to see a bush that was not being consumed. Why? Now, you know, we've got, uh, we've got the perspective based on hindsight that included everything that happened from way back then when Moses was on the side of that mountain all the way up to Jesus being born, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was resurrected, and then God spoke by the power of the Spirit through those who penned the New Testament. We have the New Testament, and the New Testament of God is our burning bush. We don't need to see. I don't need those kinds of signs and wonders for me to have these exact same things happen in my life through the Spirit of God that happened in Moses' life on the side of that mountain. How do I know? What will I find whenever I meet God on his mountain? That might be at an altar in my bedroom. That might be at an altar at my dining room table. That might be at an altar in my walk-in closet. It might be an altar that I just sit in the front seat of my truck and talk to God. It might be the altar that we build spiritually next Saturday at 11 o'clock together. We get together and spend a few minutes of time in prayer. Why? Because God's told me, don't waste another minute. When you get the children of God together, talk to me. I said, okay, Father. Okay. That's all I need to know, right? So what will I find when I, when I have a true encounter with the Holy Ghost? When I have a true encounter with God, and it is my burning bush, that I don't really need to see the burning bush. I just need to have the encounter. So what was one of the first things that, um, that God did for Moses at their meeting? He identified himself. He gave Moses a revelation of himself, right? Isn't that what God does for us when he meets us at the altars of our life? He reveals himself. He gives a revelation of his presence. And it's manifest in all kinds of ways. I can't even begin to tell you because it might be different for everybody in the room. But it's one of the gifts that God gives us when he meets with us at the altar. A revelation from him about himself, right? Now, what else did he tell uh, Moses? He told Moses, uh, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he reassured him. He gave him assurance. God gave Moses assurances. This is your past. This is your history. I am the God of those people who came before you. And he was revealing to Moses with assurance that he was Moses, God too. 
Amen? So there's revelation from God. There's assurance from God. And then what did he specifically do for Moses that you can count on him doing for you? Is he revealed Moses' purpose. What Moses is going to be doing. He revealed the purpose for Moses' preparation for ministry. He's nearly 80 years old and he's about to go pastor a church of 4 million people. And a whole lot of things were going to unfold, right? But God worked on him for 80 years to bring him to the point to move those 4 million people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And where was the first place God took them? Really. Their first destination was the mountain of God. It was that same mountain on the backside of the desert that God spoke to Moses in, right? So we have revelation from God that happens when God meets us like this. We have assurance from God. He reminds us of his promises. Number three, our very purpose that he has for us. The mission that he has for you to do. Things that he has for you to do as a child of God. Amen? And then the, he reveals his power. Did he not? When, when his brother joined him and, uh, and he was going to have his brother speak for Moses because Moses complained, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Well, guess what? There's a whole lot of people, including me, that aren't eloquent speakers. You just got to trust God. Amen? You got to trust God. Your reliance has to be on God, right? But what did he do? He said, throw the staff down and the staff turned into a snake. So there was a revelation of the power of God. That's what happens in these meetings. Revelation from God. Assurance from God. Your purpose in God is revealed. The power of God is revealed. And the peace of God. It's that results from doing and being what he wants me to be. Gives me peace. God calls this place of waste and desolation. That was the meaning of Horeb. God called it to be a place of holiness. Our role in this entire process, however long it may take, is simple. But it will not be easy. I hate to break it to you. You think, you think, well, I'm just doing everything God told me to do. Do you think the devil's going to roll over and die just because you're obeying God? He's going to fight harder. You ever wondered why? I knew this girl in high school. Wasn't my girlfriend. Don't go there. <laughs> wasn't my girlfriend. I, I, I knew her and her boyfriend for a long time. And in our senior year, just before graduation, they broke up. They broke up. And, and he broke up with her because he was going to a different college than her. And he didn't want to be bound to her. Okay? I mean, that was his choice, his decision, right? So he breaks up with her and he leaves. And so this girl, this girl, she's angry, she's hurt, she's mad. And I, I could see, you know, the, her and her girlfriends, and they're talking. And she's mad, and she's waving a picture of this guy in the air. And in front of all those girls, she ripped that picture up, threw it on the ground, and stomped on it of her ex-boyfriend. Now, I'm thinking, Wow. You know, I don't think he even felt it, right? I don't think he felt it. But, but listen to me carefully. What was she doing? You know, once there was a great battle in heaven and a third of the angels with Lucifer were cast out of heaven. Now, I want you to know something here that's very important. God did not get up off of his throne for that fight. Jesus did not even rise. In the word of God, it says that the Lord told Michael and Gabriel throw him out so Michael and Gabriel they're the ones that, that cast Satan out of heaven not God see, see people try to think that the, the devil's the opposite of God and that's not true 
If the devil were the opposite of God, they would both clash and clash and clash and clash. It would be perfect evil versus perfect good, and neither one would ever win. But we already know that the devil's been defeated, right? And he was defeated by Satan is not the opposite of God. He's the opposite of Michael or Gabriel, all right? Don't give him more power than he, than he has. Don't give him an inch more. Don't give him nothing more. That just causes people to fear him more. We have no reason to fear him. It's okay to be respectful of what he can accomplish, but we've been given the name of Jesus that is above all names. It's, it's greater than the name of Lucifer, son of the morning. All right? It's greater. So why do I tell you this? The reason why the girl tore the picture up and stomped on it was he wasn't there. He was gone. He's already out east somewhere where he's going to go to college, and all she could do was attack an image of him. So when Satan was cast out of heaven and he was defeated. Now, and Jesus, I mean, really completed that defeat when he died on the cross for our sins, was buried, resurrected, and ascended to the Father. So the devil can't do anything to God, so he goes after that which was created in the image of God. Right? So, but we've been given the name of Jesus. It's all about the choices we make. It's all about the decisions that we make. Who are we going to trust? Amen? Who are we going to trust? We're going to trust God. Amen? All right, listen to this. Our role in this entire process, however long it may take, is simple, but it will not be easy. Submissiveness and obedience is what is necessary. And in closing, the problem is that we think we know what's best. We constantly want our own way. Through it all, God will be there. Amen? Through it all, God will be there. He never gives up. He never takes a vacation. He never stops. Do you know, I, I sometimes when my eyes come up in the morning, I just kind of feel like he's been waiting for me to wake up. He said, well, Brother Dennis, that sounds a mite arrogant. Not really. It's humbling. You know, God's just waiting for me to start talking to him. My eyes come open. I like to just start thinking about him, talking to him, and praying. Amen? And yes, we're on the backside of the desert right now, but there's a mountain there called the mountain of God. Amen? Now, do, do, is it okay with you if we continue the school of the desert next week? Amen? We, we should be able to wrap up on this series soon, but I'm not in a hurry. What do we got that's better to do than be in the Word of God? All right, those of you that are with me today, stand up. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you for being so good to us, for being so kind to us, for loving us the way you do. I want to thank you, Father, for the great uh, revelation of you in our lives, Father. We thank you for the assurance that you give us. We thank you for the purpose that you have for us. We thank you for the power that you're willing to invest in us. And we thank you for the peace that passes all understanding, even though, oh, there's a pandemic out there in the world. Even though uh, there are many people that have lost their jobs and so forth and so on. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask right now that you keep drawing on the heartstrings of people in this world. Keep them turning their faces to you, talking to you, repenting of life choices and sin in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Then you hear our prayers and you're healing our land. Now, Father, you've been laying this on my heart and mind, so I want to pray it specifically. Father, you've been dealing with me for what, however that you want to accomplish this, that's just fine. 
But Father, you want, me to, you want me to count myself at your guidance, your direction as one of those spiritual leaders in this country that will be part of the rallying voice for America for healing spiritually, for healing uh, physically and even mentally, Father, about this peace that passes all understanding. May we lean heavily upon you, Father. May our trust and faith in you grow. And may people continue to turn to you and talk to you and repent of their wicked ways. And thank you, Father, for healing our land, hearing our prayer, forgiveness of our sins, and healing our land, Father. Spiritually, physically, and mentally, we pray in Jesus' name. Watch over us, Father, again as we depart from this place. May watch over everyone that's listening to us, Father, over the air. We give you all the glory and the honor and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good day.